Brothers and sisters in Christ, to this very day, there are people out there who are self-proclaimed prophets. Now, it does sort of depend on how you define prophecy. There is forthtelling, bringing God's word out in a way that's inspired or moved by the Holy Spirit. I would say I do that. And then there's foretelling, having a direct message from God. I'm focusing in more on the people who claim to be foretelling. They are out there. At my previous congregation one day, this man came in, long black hair, mustache and beard. Could have passed for Jesus in a play. Um, He said he had a message for the congregation and asked if he could speak it. But in talking with him just a little bit, it was pretty clear that this person was very mentally unstable. He had delusions of grandeur, delusions of being a prophet. Needless to say, he never got a microphone and got up in front. And there are plenty of people uh, like that. But there also are some who are very mentally fine. But spiritually, they are not. They say, I have a dream or I've had a vision or I have this message and it is just maybe wanting it so much. It is a wannabe prophet. And some of those actually lead cults and so forth. They just don't know that they're maybe being led astray. And then I'm afraid that there's probably some that absolutely know that they are led astray. They are agents of Satan and they know it. They don't want you to know it. They want you to buy in. That's today. Looking back at our text, I wonder how people came to think that John the Baptist was somebody. I mean, at first blush, he could pass as a crazy guy, right? Yet, by the time we come to this point in our text, even the established leaders of Israel are are coming out to ask who he is. Why do they think he is somebody? Let alone, why do they think he is something or somebody that has been prophesied in the Old Testament? Can you imagine that? Somebody asking you, where, where in the Bible can I find you? And being serious about it? I thought about that myself. I thought, wouldn't that be cool to be somebody in the Bible? But then then I thought about the ones that are still open. And they're like, you know, all the good ones are taken pretty much. I don't want to be the Antichrist or, or the beast or something like that. So I'll, I'll pass. But they thought that John the Baptist was something. And the very first thing, it isn't in the form of a question... Is they wondered if he was the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. And he quickly shot that one down. No, I'm not. I'm here to point him out. So then who are you? Are you Elijah? Do you understand why they asked him that? The very last passage of the Old Testament, Malachi 4 and then 5 and following, it says this. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. To this day, Jewish families, when they celebrate the Passover, leave an empty seat with a setting. And that's for Elijah, in case he shows up. How he can sit down and eat. 
So there's an expectation of Elijah's coming, and John says, no, I'm not Elijah. He knows himself as just being, I've been John all my life. I'm not Elijah. The odd part is, is that Jesus later would say, yeah, he is. He's not Elijah the person. He's not reincarnated or, or resurrected. But he's the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is the Elijah to come. So it does tell you something about how prophecies can be, how they can be couched in words. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be liberalistic, even though they are literal. Somebody is coming. So once he turned that one down, they continue on and say, well, are you the prophet? And if they had said to him, are you a prophet? He would have said, yes, for in fact, he, according to Jesus, is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But they said the prophet, and that is a reference to Deuteronomy 18, 17 and 18. And this is what it says. Uh, this is God speaking to Moses. And he says, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So they're asking, are, are you that one? And he turns that one down too. Now that one is pretty vague, right? It, it didn't have a whole lot of descriptive things that limited who it could be. And so over the course of history, a lot of people have jumped in on this and said, oh, I'm this. And the most noted one is Muhammad. But you're going to need a little bit more than just claiming to be the prophet. Though Jesus didn't have a direct conversation about this verse that we're aware of, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus is that prophet. He is prophet, priest, and king. So who are you then, they say? I am the voice of one calling the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. A passage in Isaiah that you know, doesn't have a name connected to it like Elijah or, or much else, but this is what he is. He's saying, make straight the way of the Lord. What's that? It is not a construction project, project to make a nice straight road. Rather, it is probably the extent to which we can respond to the Holy Spirit or God's word, and that is to repent. A straight way for God to get to us is a heart that recognizes that we need help, that I am a sinner, and that I want, what I want is to belong to God, to be good. That's a straight way. John the Baptist did his best to plow that for people. He convicted them of sin. And he did a baptism. And that's the thing that was stressing some of these leaders out. He said, well, why then do you baptize? 
And what he was doing isn't that different than what Jews did all the time. When they came to the temple, they took a ritual bath. That bath was symbolic of them saying, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to walk into the temple and be in the presence of God. I need cleansing. And while the cleansing had nothing to do with what was on their skin, the baptism at least symbolized their heart. When John spoke to the people out there in the desert, they had the same conviction. They wanted to be clean soon. Did you ever have experience where you saw something and it just it just grossed you out so bad you wanted to take a shower right away? Well, this is kind of it. You know, they they are so offended by their own lives that they want to wash it off. If they could wash it off. But only one can wash it off. And that's Jesus. So John tells them, there is someone among you. And it's not like he just showed up. By this time, Jesus has got to be around 30. Maybe even a little older than that. He's been around for a long time. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we're celebrating here at Christmas that was sort of standout-ish kind of things. Signs in the stars, angels coming, virgin birth. But after that, a whole lot of quiet. But let's not think that there's nothing important happening there. What is happening is from boy to man, Jesus was fulfilling God's law. And fulfilling it for as long as God required it in order that it would stand for us when we are connected to him. So he's there already and John says, I'm unworthy to bow down and untie the thong of his sandal. I mean, you think I'm important, but I, I couldn't even really do that. And it's true, John's a sinner, Jesus is son of God, he really truly isn't worthy. Now, Jesus' family and the people who lived around him were, you know, very close to him and bumped into him and worked on his clothes and maybe even untied the thong of his sandal. They didn't realize fully just how wrong that would be or how unworthy they were but God makes them worthy and that is our blessing he will baptize you says John with the Holy Spirit and with fire now the very fact that John doesn't say that water is used anywhere along the line I think throws some people off They expect the first one, that he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit, to be something other than uh, something involved with water. That it would be the Holy Spirit falling on you and there would be this tremendous experience. And I can say, while that can happen, that's not what John is talking about. John is talking about that... Jesus is going to create a connection between us and him and the Holy Spirit will dwell in us as a seal of that connection, as a sign of it 
And as a guarantor of it, he's going to fight to keep that seal living. And that's the primary thing that the Holy Spirit does. And Peter said to a crowd once, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They would not have understood baptism in any other way than to be baptized with water, only now the purpose is different. And the function of what God does is different. God binds us to himself through baptism. And even though it doesn't look like much, it doesn't feel like much, if you look at passages around it, you see that God does much. It even connects to what I would consider to be a really hard passage to understand. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And there's a conversation that we're allowed to overhear. And at first blush, you walk away going, what? And it's because it's something that's so outside of our experience. This is Jesus speaking, and he had been praying for the immediate set of disciples, but now he expands it out to include us. And he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who believe in me through their message. That would be us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's a lot of I and you, you and me, them and us, and you're like, what does that mean? In a way that is similar to how the Son of God and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one God. And and I can only say in a way similar, because I don't think it's exactly the same, and I can't even tell you what that is, but in a way similar to that, we are connected to Jesus, each one of us individually connected to Jesus. That's what saves us, that connection to Jesus, because Jesus fulfills the law for us, and we get connected to him. And in that way of all being connected to Jesus, We are all connected to each other, and there is a unity. Now, a lot of people look at this passage, and they say, See, even Jesus doesn't get everything he prays for. Look at the Christian church. Look at the divisions that exist there. There isn't unity. Yes, exactly. It's not the kind of unity that we would like to work for, a unity of common doctrine, a unity of common mind. But there's a more important unity, a unity of being connected to Jesus. And that is the unity that's tended to in the Lord's Supper, that unity. And that unity, I believe, begins when we are first baptized into him. So that's a pretty important thing. Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What's the last part? That sounds a little scarier. And it actually is a little scarier. And he will baptize you with fire. 
most study Bible um, interpretations of this, I think, are really lacking. If you just pay attention to how the word fire gets used, you find two spots where the Bible talks about us being interacting with with fire and and Jesus is the one who really will bring it. He says, and it doesn't describe it very well, but at least it brings it to your attention. It's in the midst of Jesus talking about Sheol. And he says, first of all, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God than for you to have two eyes and be thrown into Hades, is the word here. Even though NIV says hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And then he says, everyone will be salted with fire. And I don't think the context is saying everyone in Hades salted with fire. I think he's talking everyone. And when you go to Paul's description of the judgment day in 1 Corinthians 3, you see that he describes that our deeds will be tested by fire. And that is the fire that Jesus will immerse us in baptize us in it is something that will test our deeds so how are we to use that information you need to first of all take joy in the fact that God has chosen you to be connected to Jesus and filled you with the Holy Spirit then you need to take joy in the fact that you still have some time left on this planet and you've had the time up till now where the Holy Spirit can work through you and you can do things that are empowered by God, things that are done out of love and mercy, things that are done in humility, and those things will follow you out of this world up to Judgment Day. They will be tested by this fire, this baptism of fire, and they'll be proved genuine. And there will be a reward. Now I realize that this, and he will baptize you with fire, has led to the colloquialism that we have that says, oh, he went through a baptism of fire. But Jesus is not going to be our persecutor or to put us through deep trials. Jesus is our judge. We do need to respect that. He's our master. He's our Lord. He's the reason we are here still, that we may do the things of God. So may you find that information from the prophet to be something motivating and clarifying, strengthening you to accomplish God's work. In Jesus' name, amen.